Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Feeling It. We Ooh. are for... Oh. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) This is a monologue. Sorry. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Feeling It. We are four friends who all went to college together in Texas and now live in different parts of the country. Even though we're separated by distance, we're united by our common love of TV, film, and tech. Let's go around and introduce ourselves. Hey, I'm Lawson Soward. I'm an art director at an ad agency in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a huge fan of hip-hop, Americana, Terrence Malick, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I also get just as much satisfaction from a joke that gets a groan and an eye roll as I do out of a genuine laugh, so basically my unborn children already can't stand me. Hello, everyone. I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager, also living in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I'm a big fan of comedy podcasts, half-hour television, and just the poppiest of pop music. I'm also a diehard rom-com defender and Tumblr obsessive. Hello, hello. I'm Brent Bailey. I work for a tech company and live in Chicago, Illinois. I write about pop culture and theology online, and I love films, particularly if they involve the names Pixar, Jessica Chastain, or the Coen Brothers. And I'm usually at least two seasons behind on any given TV show. And I'm Lucas Wright. I'm a Bay Area-based designer. I obsess over TV and film news and reply to just about everything in my life with GIFs. The basic idea of this pop culture podcast is that every week, each one of us will talk about one thing we're really feeling this week. Often that will be a movie, TV show, or musician. But we also might bring up apps, books, or the funniest cat video that we can find. We hope that we'll be introducing you to things that make you just as happy as they make us. We'll also have some deep dive conversations about current films, major pop culture events, and our own pop culture tastes and histories. We're really excited to have you as a listener and to get started. So let's move into what each of us are feeling this week. Lawson, what are you feeling? Hey, so yeah, this week there are so many things that I'm feeling. Um, The thing I'm going to pick, though, is Chance the rapper, and his song, Somewhere in Paradise. Um, This song has only recently been dethroned by Beyonce's Lemonade as the song (laughs) I listened to at work to keep me going, keep me feeling good, keep me motivated, dancing to the beat. I literally will, like, dance around to my standing desk while listening to this music. Sure, everybody loves that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they're real into it. I'm super popular. Um, (laughs) But anyway, I first heard of uh, Chance the Rapper back in 2013 when he was on uh, Childish Gambino's Because the Internet, which was my favorite rap album of that year. Um, But he was rapping a long time before that. He's 23 currently, um, came up rapping in Chicago, idolizing Kanye West, a really big part of Chicago's music scene. Um, and has been self-releasing mixtapes and albums as far back as, like, 2010. Uh, I mean, and based on his age, like, that's back when he was in high school. Um, he was actually expelled for 10 days from high school for marijuana possession and used it to record and release 14 tracks for free online in an album he called 10 Day, um, which was great and really helped launch his rap career and his notoriety around the area. Uh, he continues to release a lot of free content online, which is something I love about him. Uh, that includes a hip-hop version of the theme song from the Arthur animated show, What a Wonderful Kind of Day. It's so good, you guys. It's just such a feel-good track, and they do such a cool job mixing it. 
Um, and he even raps about releasing all this music online for free in the profoundly moving uh, song in Kanye's newest album, Ultra Light Beam, uh, a song which rings kind of like a coronation for his rap career. Um, his line in uh, that about his next album is, let's make it so free in the bar so hard that there ain't one gosh darn part you can't tweet. Ooh, what a 23-year-old thing to say. I know, he's so 23. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so he's appeared on SNL with Kanye um, in that premiere performance, but also at the end of 2015, he was the first unsigned artist ever to perform on Studio 8H. Like, um, that had never happened before. And he performed solo. He performed his songs Sunday Candy and Somewhere in Paradise. Um, Sunday Candy is an awesome song, and it's part of his project called Donnie Trumpet and the Social Experiment, which I highly recommend you guys check out. It's on Spotify. But I want to talk specifically about his track Somewhere in Paradise. Think about it. I woke up this morning. I woke up this morning. Got a smile when I say that shit. I woke up this morning. Go. Standing up fire. which is like when he screams out and it was so good on his SNL performance. Um, just like, I woke up this morning. I gotta smile when I say that shit. I woke up this morning. It's just so freaking positive. <laughs> um, it's one of his two songs he currently has available under his uh, solo recording name on Spotify. Both just have the same hyper-positive vibe, which really encapsulate why I love this guy so much, aside from his incredible talent as a rapper and producer. Uh, he really feels like a force for good. There's a lot of language, especially in this song, um, about heaven and God and uh, God being awesome, the devil being a liar. Um, so whether God, heaven, and the devil are just superstitions to you and thus surrogates for like hope, uh, fear, and love, or if they take, if you take every one of those words literally, it still makes for a super inspiring song. Um, I love, love, love artists like Kendrick Lamar and D'Angelo and recently, I'll say it again, Beyonce, who have been <laughs> carrying the torch of this kind of tradition of incising Jeremiah's against injustice. And I think that's such an important force for good. But I also think something as unabashedly joyful in composition and message as uh, Chance the Rapper has a huge place in the rap scene today. And I'm super excited to see where Chance goes next. The other song he performed that night on SNL, was it uh, Israel Sparring? No. Um, the other song he played that night was Sunday Candy. Yeah, he's got another song called Israel Sparring with uh, No Name Gypsy. Um, that was my introduction to Chance the Rapper. It's a fantastic song, just like you were saying, Lawson. Um, it really kind of wonderfully mixes autobiography, a lot of um, uh, really careful biblical imagery, um, and just some really sick beats. It uses this line, sparring is training again and again and again, and it's kind of based on this biblical image of God wrestling with, uh, of God wrestling with uh, Jacob. Um, and yeah, I think he's got a real, real promising career ahead of him. 
Yeah, he's awesome. And I love hearing him in interviews and in his songs whenever he talks about how much he loves his daughter. He just is, he seems like such a good dude. Um, and there are so many good people in hip hop right now doing so many good things. And Chance's particular brand is one I just can't stop listening to. Awesome. That's really cool. Well, um, surprisingly, I also have a rap pick for this week. Um, my rap pick is is a little stranger than I think Chance the Rapper. Um, I'm gonna my the thing that I'm feeling this week is beef season, but it's beef season on my favorite podcast or one of my favorite podcasts. Get up on this. So first, let me explain. Get up on this. If any of y'all aren't familiar with it currently, um, get up on this is a weekly podcast. Um, where they try to get you up on things you probably haven't heard of before. So they're trying to let people know about cool stuff very early on. Um, speaking of... So like the opposite of what I did with Chance the Rapper. <laughs> well, Everyone already knows is so great. <laughs> speaking of Chance the Rapper, in one of their earliest episodes, they got people up on Chance the Rapper before he even had a thousand Twitter followers. Whoa. Yeah, so they're really good at like... They have a lot of success stories and like getting things ahead of the game that actually do hit and that's, become big deals. That's so cool. Yeah, they're a great podcast. Um, one of the hosts used to be a rapper, and so a lot of the, his picks tend to be rap-based. He's always getting people up on new rappers. And because of that, he has a large following in like the indie rapper community. Um, because of that, the show gets a lot of submissions from fans of theme songs that are just raps. So every so often they're changing out their theme song for the podcast um, with submissions from fans that are really good. Like these songs are like, I love to listen to them at the beginning of the episode. Um, They do theme songs, they do um, sound effects, drops, all things that the podcast incorporates throughout the show. Um, They have so many submissions that they have these four guys that are regularly being used that the podcast hosts refer to as the four horsemen of the show. Um, So there's these four rappers that have consistently submitted songs to be used on the show. Um, So recently one of the four horsemen, his name is Will Giovanni. um, He submitted a theme song and in it, he included in his rap sort of a diss on one of the other four horsemen, Sean Collins, the Batman of rap. I don't Um, want to get too distracted, but (laughs) the Batman of rap. Yeah, that's his name. That's amazing. Yeah, Sean Collins, the Batman of rap is, I think, the full title. Uh, Will Giovanni basically saying like, yo, Sean, you haven't put out any music for the podcast in a long time. Maybe I'm like the new leader of the four horsemen. Just kind of a small aside in like what was otherwise a great theme song. Um, and the podcast hosts kind of noticed this. We're like, man, Sean, you're getting called out here. Put on blast. Exactly. <laughs> so the following week, which was April 4th, episode 238, if you want to go look it up on the Get Up Get Up on This Podcast, um, Sean Collins came back with this fire diss track and it was just that was solely what it was it was not a theme song it was a diss track about william giovanni and it was so good um i'm gonna play just a sample of it right now like, where you at and he's like i get you got a job so i'm gonna cut you some slack but like where you at he called him out a little bit uh, a little bit it's definitely a challenge I don't really do this, but I make exceptions. Somebody brought my name into question. 
Man, I heard your micro displays of aggression. Rhymes so cute that they gave me an erection. Now you're thinking, shucks, how can you back this up? Wow, too late, you're stuck. How baby wants to fuck now, huh? I said, baby wants to fuck now, huh? So that's what we gon' do Somebody should've phoned you or warned you And told you the no, you can never ever dethrone, dude Started all this shit many moons ago Before Maddie was the co-host The hype member union show Before Jensen turned his hand into a tuna roll Before Fat Jew when you wonder where the phone booths go Before I had to spank you like a two-year-old You went too deep and hit a wall, dog. Truman Show Truth be told, your raps are dope, I like you But Jesus Christ, I get attacked by my disciples You're breaking my heart, kid you're Sean Michaels, cause ain't nobody buying your shit, man, it's title. And you should cop Fago for a cheap pop, cause I'm drinking all your soda. And you can try and turn heel with them cheap shots, but you can't even get over, no. You need someone to yeah, so <laughs> these songs have been so fun to listen to. And so, of course, after that diss track was released, um... Will Giovanni replied with his own diss track again, and it has gone back and forth, back and forth on every new episode of the podcast. Um, So much so that the podcast hosts have declared this beef season. Um, (laughs) They're having the time of their lives with this beef that's happening on their podcast. Um, Like I said, there's four horsemen. So not only is this happening just between two of them, but the other horsemen are getting in on the beef. Um, one of them was left out of a diss track, so he got pissed about that and wrote his own, saying, man, why'd you leave me out? <laughs> Another one, um, there was a article written about beef season, and the journalist who wrote the article on fastcocreate.com left out one of the four horsemen's name. So that four horseman, whose name was T.Y., he wrote a rap diss about that journalist, bringing journalists <laughs> into the beef. They it's, love that. Yeah, it's been uh. so fun. Um, one of the reasons I'm particularly feeling it this week is because on the most recent episode, William Giovanni responded not only with a new diss track, but with a diss EP. He came out with three songs in a week (laughs) to display. Um, and the host also announced that next week's episode, which is going to be on Tuesday, May 3rd, is going to be a podcast episode devoted entirely to beef season they're not going to do picks they're not going to get you up on anything new it's a beef season episode they have over 30 minutes of new music that has been submitted by all the people that usually submit music to them music from the four horsemen music from rappers that have only ever submitted once or twice music from fans all dedicated to whose side they're on in beef season it's their own civil war, like days before <laughs> civil war. Exactly. <laughs> um, building a whole beef season universe. <laughs> um, yeah, and so they're gonna have Sean Collins. They're gonna have Sean Collins and William Giovanni on that podcast episode um, as guests to kind of like talk things out. Uh, it's gonna be a fun ride. So I would recommend this podcast in general because it's a great podcast. But especially now is a fun time to join on. Because you get to really hear some great music from some people you probably never heard of before. That's awesome. That sounds super fun. Yeah, it's been it's been great. Uh, the the raps have gotten like strangely personal and in in their attacks in a way that only just adds to like the humor and the drama. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Brent, what are you feeling this week? Man, our first episode, I really wanted to pick something really cool or esoteric, uh, and so I'm not. I'm gonna go in a completely opposite direction. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I uh, rewatched season one of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and then watched season two. 
um, which obviously that's a fantastic show, a lot of fun. But it pointed me back to the show that I've been streaming since then, which is a little comedy you may have heard of called Frasier. Uh, in season one of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, there's a great line where um, Jack one says something and Kimmy's response is, that was the fanciest sentence I've ever heard and I used to watch Frasier. And there's a few uh, Frasier references throughout season two as well. And so hearing that name so often uh, brought back lots of really warm memories for me of watching Frasier growing up. So I've been streaming. Um, I started it with episode one. I've been streaming um, Frasier almost through season three at this point. Uh, the whole series is available on Netflix uh, and it's always fun to revisit a show like this. Uh, Frasier debuted in 1993. It lasted for 11 seasons. Uh, it won something like, I think, I think 38 Emmys. Uh, but it's Jeez. always fun to go back and revisit shows like this. Um, first and foremost, that were really significant in pop culture, but also that were significant for yourself. Just to always kind of ask what holds up and what doesn't hold up. Uh, so, so far, watching the first three seasons of Frasier... Uh, what definitely holds up is obviously the chemistry among the cast. It's amazing how quickly this show found its footing, uh, really just a few episodes in, um, to where you've got um, you've got really hilarious moments and hilarious exchanges, but also some real uh, kind of heavy, uh, powerful moments be- between characters. I think it's the seventh episode that um, the main plot is that um, Fraser and Niles uh, uncover this family secret that their mother was unfaithful that she um she cheated on martin so there's this great conversation near the end of the episode um fraser has um just recently divorced his wife and so they talk about their experiences with their wives and their own shortcomings in their marriages um and it's kind of amazing that the show is only a few episodes in and they're already having um talks that feel this honest and kind of raw and that's something that really continues throughout the series obviously is this is this amazing chemistry between the cast um, what else holds up? I described this to a friend, you know, I was trying to describe to a friend how, um, Frasier has a really great mix of high comedy and low comedy. And then I realized, oh no, it's all low comedy. It's just low comedy <laughs> dressed in a tuxedo. That's yeah. how I described it. <laughs> and so it's a lot of slapstick. It's a lot of, um, one character in the room being the only one who's unaware of something, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's dressed up in lots of really esoteric, pretentious references. But I really don't think if you knew a lot about wine or about classical music, I don't think it would really enhance your enjoyment of the show at all. So this is a show that it can kind of make you feel <laughs> more clever and more knowledgeable, even though you don't really have to know anything at all to watch it. Uh, this is also a show that genuinely likes each of its characters, but isn't afraid to poke fun at at first and foremost, their eccentricities, their kind of minor quirks and personality, uh, their quirks and little um, and little kind of weird habits. But it's also a show that is not afraid to kind of poke fun at their larger character flaws. And so I think when I was young, I used to watch it and think that Frasier was a pretty admirable, um, respectable person. And now watching it, I realize <laughs> like, oh, no, there's just a whole lot you can just really genuinely dislike about this person. He was just wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's all it is. Um so yeah, pretty early on, you realize like he's a good he's a good psychiatrist, but also in a lot of cases he's not a great psychiatrist, and he gives people bad advice, and he does it for really selfish reasons, and he can be really manipulative, but also I mean obviously he's also really endearing and really likable, and that's why we keep watching. Uh, but this is also the kind of show where um, the characters like each other; they're not afraid to poke fun at each other, but they also just really enjoy each other. Um, there's lots of shots of just characters laughing at each other's jokes, particularly Fraser and Roz, and I think anytime you have 
a show where the cast where the characters seem to really enjoy each other's company it just kind of feels like we're being let in um on a fun group of people that we would want to hang out with uh, and then finally what holds up is just the sheer predictability of this show it's really comforting it's kind of like a security blanket you generally know the arc that any particular episode is going to follow um you know so early on a friend of mine and i were watching a show and i had like stepped out for a second and i came back and i asked oh what's happening in this one and he started his setup with in a moment of hubris, Frasier dot dot dot, and we just realized that's pretty much the setup for every episode. Is in a moment of hubris, Frasier dot dot dot. So there's something just really reassuring about you know every episode starts with that kind of a different little jazz riff, and you know pretty well where it's going to go. Uh, unfortunately, there are a few things that do not hold up very well on repeated viewings. Um, in particular, the show's treatment of Roz is really troubling. Um, there are two lead female characters, Roz and Daphne. Uh, obviously, Roz is uh, Fraser's producer on the radio show. And it's really troubling how often both the characters themselves and the plots themselves uh, make Roz and her sex life the punchline. Uh, it's kind of it's really kind of unsettling and kind of gross to watch how Roz is treated uh, at the radio studio by some of her male co-workers, in particular, this character Bulldog, who's kind of this extreme satire of like machismo. Um, but so often Roz, I mean, I hate to, yeah, I hate to bring in the word slut shaming, but it often feels like slut shaming where Roz is no more, in terms of kind of her choices in her relationships, she's really no different than any of the male characters. But um, so often the, the punchline of the joke is that, you know, who did Roz wake up with this morning or where's Roz going to be tonight? Uh, and it's troubling to see how the characters do that, but also how so often the kind of plot lines will revolve around Roz learning a lesson or Roz being wrong. Uh, so it's hard to watch that now. Uh, I really feel for her. You know, another thing that doesn't hold up very well is the show's broad humor. Um, there's great dialogue. There's great um, conversations and rapport between the characters. Um, and in many cases, there's some great broad physical humor. Uh, but even as early as season three, you start getting pretty long, extended um, slapstick sequences that um, that do feel um, like they kind of belong in the 90s and like they belong in syndicated late night TV <laughs> TV series. There's one episode in particular with a this uh, long sword fight between Niles and his wife Maris's um, fencing instructor. And it just goes on and on and on. And um, at one point, Niles is like swinging from the rafters and it all just feels really silly and cartoonish in a way that I think. Uh, doesn't hold up very well it's well a, at all it's amazing how many 90s sitcoms were like that like i'll rewatch friends over and over and i'm just blown away by how much physical comedy and how much slapstick there is in so many of those huge 90s shows yeah and i mean i kind of admit there I, I i kind of admire their willingness to really like stick to the bit and follow through and go big but um yeah i think that uh there are a lot of ways that this show's this show could have been reined in um, but overall, I mean, Frasier is exactly what you remember it to be. It absolutely holds up. I'm curious, did you all um, watch Frasier when it was on the air, or did you catch it in syndication? Is this a show you have any kind of relationship with? This is a show that I have absolutely zero relationship with. I have watched a couple episodes, like just when it's on TV, like more recently, um, and it's not a show that interests me at all. <laughs> like, it's just one of those shows that I, I think it might be because I didn't see it ever as a kid um i'm just, like seeing it now for the first time as an adult i'm like what is this this is not something i probably want to get involved with i mean just as an effort to put as many references to more popular podcasts into our first episode of our podcast <laughs> um i the, my most familiarity with fraser is through matt myra of the nerdist podcast who has his 
um, what it, I don't toss salad and toss salad eggs. and scrambled yeah. eggs podcast where yeah. he does recaps and talks about Frasier in at length, and uh, I I mean have been listening to the nerd since it started and i love whenever they give him a hard time about loving fraser and how he doesn't even care and he loves it and he just like comes back at them with more fraser trivia and quotes so i uh i have great affinity in my heart for those who love fraser but i've never seen it myself i grew up not watching it regularly but definitely being very familiar with it and then as an adult sort of revisited it for a short time and was enjoying it as I was watching it. I didn't, like, keep up with my binge-watching. But um, I was... I did a bunch of binge-watching of Cheers recently. And so that led me to, you know, <laughs> seeing... You know, yeah. revisiting Frasier as well. Um, it was a spinoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Frasier, the character, was a character on Cheers before he got his own show. Gotcha. Um, but Frasier himself never really... Um, I never really enjoyed him very much. I've always been very drawn to the Niles character. And um, so that's that was my favorite part of the show, um, was all of his anxiety and um, fussiness. Speaking of Kimmy Schmidt, I also love Kelsey Grammer in 30 Rock whenever he's a member of the Best Friends gang. Like, that character arc is classic to me. So Yeah, if they had a whole show about that, I would watch. <laughs> <laughs> love Kelsey Grammer. Uh, Sandra, you talked about the Niles character, and it is also interesting to revisit the show as an adult um, and just to see all of the ways that, in particular, Fraser and Niles, their characters are so gender nonconforming. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it's funny to think about me watching this as a kid, and I think there were a lot of ways that I identified with both of them and with um, the some of the exchanges they would have with their dad and some of the exchanges they have with Roz. Because um, from the beginning, I, I mean, obviously, this is kind of one of the major running jokes is that Fraser and Niles are both very intelligent and very well respected but when it comes to things like um changing a tire or being able to throw a punch they're just they're going completely going to fail um and that's something that they sort of take a lot of pride in and at other times seem really insecure about in terms of their gender nonconformity uh but it, it is kind of refreshing to see for a show in the mid 90s it was not afraid to play with kind of ideas of what masculinity and femininity are and um, what healthy sexual relationships look like, all those kind of things. Um, I do have to make one more comment. Whenever I think about Frasier, the the line that immediately all the line that immediately comes to mind is a line that is actually not from Frasier, but it is from a an a an episode of the first season of Thirty Rock, um, where they make a reference to a show to a failed sitcom called Black Frasier. And I don't know yes. if any of you all remember this this clip. <laughs> I love that clip. But basically, they've recreated um, like Fraser's apartment with black actors. Niles, this Beaujolais is impeccable. It's both fruity and precocious. That's not the only thing around here that's fruity and precocious. <laughs> <laughs> so anytime I think about Fraser, I think about fruity and precocious, which is not a line from Fraser. <laughs> right. Cool. Well, the thing I'm feeling this week is a website called Giphy, spelled G-I-P-H-Y. Do you guys use this website? Absolutely. Yes. Like yes. 80 times a day, yeah. Yes. It is the Google for GIFs is what it is. Um, a couple months ago, they launched um, an app called... Uh... Yeah, so a couple months ago, they, la they launched an app called Giphy Cam, um, I think just for iOS originally. Um, but it lets you create GIFs on your, on your mobile device. They also had a, or they also have a web creation tool for GIFs, um, and it's just giphy.com slash create, which lets you 
drag and drop video files um, or enter like a website or anything like that and be able to make GIFs out of that. Um, and recently they just launched another app um, for the Mac um, called Giphy Capture. Um, and it is basically the same thing, just allows you to, to create GIFs off of off of your, your desktop. And I, as someone who extremely enjoys GIFs, um, I have loved the website, the app, the mobile, the uh, the web creation site, and now the the Mac app as well. Um, I it, it it is something that I've used many many times um, to create the perfect GIF. But um, how so? You you guys are familiar with the website? Have you guys used the app or any any of their other tools? Oh, definitely. I try to use like every tool that. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I pronounce it incorrectly. Oh I say my Jiffy. gosh! We're gonna yeah. have this. We're gonna have this fight now. Oh no, we're definitely not because uh. I don't engage in that fight. <laughs> That's so, how Sandra and I are still friends. We don't engage in that fight. <laughs> um, yeah, I use all of their tools. I love their website. Um, I actually got to um, hear and see the founder of um, Giphy speak at South by Southwest. Um, so that was really fun to hear him like talk about the meaning of gifs and like the reason behind why they're behind their greatness um yeah so i'm a big fan the ios app is like one of the best um like gif apps i feel like on the app store there are some that are a little bit more fine-tuned or higher quality but this one is the easiest to use and like the funnest to use Definitely. Totally. I had several uh, GIF keyboards before, and I eventually just ended up deleting those and just getting the Giphy app, and I'll just switch between those because there's so much more selection. It's so easy to use. It's so in- intuitive, and the design reflects the content. Um, yeah, I love the Giphy mobile app, and I use it on desktop all the time. Okay, Sandra, I'm going to be honest. As we are talking about GIFs, which is how I choose to pronounce it, um, that's so diplomatic. <laughs> so, so I was uh, last night at work. Actually, I was telling a few of my coworkers about this podcast and how excited I was to come record it. And I started showing off all of you on Facebook. Uh, I have been off Facebook for about a year. I just got back on about a couple weeks ago, uh, actually for work. Um, and so I was not aware at all of different upgrades that they had uh, put into the platform. Um, and so I got to Sandra's page and I was talking about Sandra and all of a sudden Sandra's profile picture started winking at us and it was like this kind of magical, but also kind of terrifying moment where we realized, like, (laughs) I guess now you can have This is Harry Potter! (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So this was news to me, but. Yeah. uh, yeah. And I made that profile picture using, um, the Jiffy Cam app. So it, it, there was kind of a workaround because Facebook now lets you use video as a profile picture. Mm. So I had to make a GIF in the <laughs> GIF cam app and then convert the GIF into a video and then upload oh, the video geez. to the Facebook profile nice. picture. Yeah. Well, I just want to I just want to end that section by saying uh, it's a hard G like a giraffe. Um, <laughs> giffy. So uh, here's the thing. So yeah. I say GIF, but um, I do recognize that as a company. Giphy can choose how they want to pronounce their company name. So I often say Giphy when referring to the company if I can remember to, but I will always say (laughs) Giphy. If you can be bothered. Exactly, Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, Let's but, embrace our differences, y'all. Yeah. The world's a rainbow. Well, okay. I started this podcast so we could not embrace our differences. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Lucas, I do have a question because I haven't used the Mac app yet, although I am excited to. Um, 
But my understanding is that it lets you make GIFs by screen capture. Is that correct? Yes, which is really nice for there. I feel, I feel like there are a lot of times that I have something that I want to um, turn into a GIF that's not a video, which is usually what I end up doing for their uh, their their website GIF maker is just in, you know input input that URL there. But a lot of times, if it's like text that I'm writing or um, there's a video that somebody sent me that's actually not on the internet or something like that. Um, music videos, TV shows, that kind of stuff that I want to just capture real quick. Um, it's also a lot easier to use for online media as well. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to give it a try. I'm excited to be really snarky when someone asks me a basic question and do a screen capture of me Googling the exact words that they say. <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect use for it right there. <laughs> discuss um, where we feel most represented in pop culture. This is a question Sandra brought up. Um, Sandra, where where did this come from? Kind of where where did where did you get the inspiration for this? Well, I I don't think that I thought of it myself. I think I probably heard it somewhere. Um, possibly on another podcast or or in an article somewhere. But it is a question that I've thought of often. Um, just you know, we talk about representation a lot. We talk about ethnic representation, sexual identity, um, gender, uh, class, all different kinds of things that can make us feel represented or not. Um, And those are all, like, of course, really important things. And we can feel represented by one of them or more of them. But um, it always makes me very curious what pieces of pop culture people feel like do a good job of representing something that's so unique to them. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're all we all have a lot of things in common, but we also have a lot of things that make us so different. And I I want to it's always I think it says a lot about a person when they say, man, watching that, I really just feel felt like that was me on the screen. Um, Yeah. So I am really excited to hear what moments or what characters or shows or movies did that for y'all. Yeah, definitely. Lawson, you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure thing. I feel like mine can tend to be a little cliche, but I know that we're all really different. So anyway, here's hoping I'm not stepping on any toes by saying that my movie is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. My toes are unbestepped. <laughs> Huzzah! I think you're good. Great. We're all different, guys. Let's rejoice. <laughs> okay, so uh, you're talking about representation, standard. This one does represent... Uh, my race and my orientation, which is something I have a disproportionate ease with as a straight white man. Um, But more than that, uh, there's so specific cultural pieces in this movie about just growing up in Texas. No one does Linklater, or uh, no one does Texas as well as Linklater. Um, And it, it feels like it felt the most true to my life. I felt the most represented by it because the plot was so unremarkable. It was just all about um, 
relationships and uh, this family and the friendships that come and, and transition in life and all these things that I really felt represented by. Um, it was, uh, I didn't grow up, you know, in a divorced home. Uh, if you want to get like an accurate portrayal of my family, you'd probably have to go watch one of those terrible family-friendly faith-based movies. <laughs> um, my family was legitimately that cohesive, loving, and supportive uh, they also subtly slash not so subtly had all that, you know, underlying patriarchy and like conflict aversion and all that stuff. But it made for a really stable kind of idyllic childhood um, and growing up. And my parents were always super loving and supportive to me, no matter if I was really into sports or really into photography. Um, one of the things that really just echoed all the way through my bones was... Um, the scene where they paint over the height marks on the door in the doorway. Uh, it's just kind of this throwaway scene early on in the movie, but I moved around a ton when I was young. Um, it was mostly all over Texas, uh, moved up to New York and New Jersey for a little while, but uh, every year and a half we were moving to a new house, painting all the walls, getting everything uh, to where my parents would have the easiest time possible selling it, packing up and moving to a new school with new people. And kind of this feeling of uh, transience, of not really having a place to call home, only uh, people to call home, uh, is something that I think really comes through both in the kind of rotating cast of characters, in the, the main character's home throughout this movie, and also how many times they move. And I just really identified with that. Um, another scene that I don't want to go through every single point because there were way too many points in the movie that uh, really felt like it identified uh, with me. But another scene that really felt kind of quintessential to my coming up was this uh, scene where uh, a bunch of boys in this kind of abandoned house, um, and there's some older kids, and then we have our main character and some younger kids, and there's just this feeling of, like, uh, this pressure from older guys to prove yourself um, in a setting where parents aren't around, uh, just like this combination of fear of wanting to observe everything and like not be noticed, but also kind of being put upon uh, to this masculinity that these older guys in the room are kind of uh, presumably the authority on. And I just remember the feeling of like that feeling so masculine, like really, or not masculine, that feeling so foreign. Um, it legitimately being like, okay, I'm over here in the corner watching that happen, and those guys are older, so maybe that's what you act like whenever you're older. But that looks like a whole different language. I don't understand why they're acting that way. Um, and then kind of just trying to exist in that situation. It's something that's hard to put into words, but I felt like the essence of that scene, the emotional tug on that scene, felt completely true to me. Um, also had a dad that loved the Beatles, and just a bunch of great conversations with my dad. There's so many stories that are all valid about father figures in our lives. But I had like a pretty traditional dad is Superman complex growing up. Um, but dad was also smart and wise and funny Superman. And I love talking to him about everything um, like, the, like they do in this film. And it just was really uh, heartwarming to see a really cool relationship like that where you could kind of come to your dad with anything. That's something I really identified with. Um, so yeah, just even though there are tons of details that are different... Um, I felt really close and connected to the movie in this kind of brotherhood of man kind of way, like this universal humanity thing. Uh, but I mean, even the terms brotherhood and man prove why identifying with this movie can't in fact be universal. 
um, it was just exactly the right demographic for me to feel fully seen. Um, the movie just loves people so well and loves these relationships, puts relationships as such a high priority. Um, and loving people is honestly to get a little earnest. Like that's my life's highest goal. So the fact that this movie puts loving people and caring about these characters, um, above any particular, uh, plot point or development just felt like a really, uh, really, really connected with me. So yeah, my pick is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. This is getting heartfelt with Lawson Soward. <laughs> <laughs> Laying it all out there for you guys. Yep. <laughs> Lawson, I'm curious, uh, as you were watching Boyhood, were there specific locations that you recognized from your childhood? Uh, I mean, there are scenes just out in the middle of nowhere that just this kind of indistinct, you can see the horizon no matter where you look. Uh, Texas, that, I mean, every time I drove out on the highway for long enough, I saw that. Whenever I was my grandparents, it was like that. Um, this kind of generic texas landscape did they go to the it's been longer than i want it to be since i've seen it um they go to the dallas botanical gardens in that movie not that i remember okay i did yeah i didn't grow up in the houston area and i believe that was filmed in the houston area is that right austin austin okay it's some of both because as i was watching it there were a few locations i recognized yeah there's a scene that takes place I think it's at, meant to be set in like the east texas area right there's at least one scene that takes place either i don't know if, if it would have been enron field or minute Maid park at the time but i mean the the stadium where i went to countless baseball games with my own dad growing up so i just asked because i growing up in the houston area there were specific locations where i thought oh man i've actually been there with my dad at that age and i had kind of a similar Stunning moment of identification. Yeah, it's, I just, I love that movie. I, I, similarly, going to the Rangers game is like my life's one constant. Like, no matter where we moved, we would always try to go to the opening day and stuff. So, yeah, scenes of going to the baseball game, so many things that feel kind of quintessentially, I mean, everywhere has a Texas, everywhere has a, a baseball team almost, but, um, yeah. Everywhere has a Texas. Everywhere has a Texas. <laughs> what a Texas thing to say. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's my next tattoo, y'all. Everywhere has a Texas. Oh, you know, when I think of answering this question, um, I feel like the easy answer for me to say is like Hermione from Harry Potter. Just because as a kid, mm, I... Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> I felt so represented by her just physically she she and i look her the description of her was me to a t when i was like i didn't know you were black oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, you know just like the the words they use just like bushy hair bushy brown hair um big front teeth i had all of those i was definitely like a know-it-all um sometimes uh, annoying in my ways of like talking about books or saying that what the best course of action would be um, but you know, those are all just kind of very like surface level characteristics. The, the moment that I finally decided on though, was, um, a scene from season four, episode one of girls, um, the Hannah character and girls, I have some things in common with, we're both not skinny people. We're both white girls in our twenties. Um, but other than that, I wouldn't say that I feel very represented by her. But in this one particular scene, I feel like she has a monologue that I identified with so fiercely. Um, in this scene, she is in the hallway kind of having a confrontation with Adam, this guy that she's been seeing recently. And 
it's important to note that they've just been seeing each other. They haven't been dating. They're not in a relationship. They most she mostly just come kind of comes over to his apartment every now and then. Um, but she has to have this conversation with him where she says she wants to stop seeing him because she feels very disrespected by him by things that he's done or a lack of effort that has been made on his part. Um, and it was something that I felt hadn't been explored in pop culture, or at least that I had seen, where I feel like a lot of times in TV or movie, people are either dating or they're not, or they're married or they're not, with a few exceptions for like affairs or unrequited love. But few have really explored this area of that I feel like a lot of us went through, especially in our early 20s, where no one's really dating each other. We're all just kind of hanging out around the same time, <laughs> sometimes one-on-one, and no one's putting any labels on anything. Um, and part of that is fun, and part of that is, like, freeing, but also it's very frustrating. And I think this scene, she does a very good job of explaining what it's like being a woman in that situation, even though she doesn't say, you know, this is what it's like being a woman in this situation. But the essence of that scene kind of really lays out what it's like to be dangling in that unknown. Um, it's also, she also does a good job of explaining how stupid she feels being in that position, having to have that conversation. She's not asking for commitment. She's not asking for a serious relationship. She's just asking for a little respect from the person she's having sex with. And um, she talks about how stupid she feels to have this conversation with him she doesn't say this, but I could feel, and because I've been in this position, how stupid you feel to talk about this person you're sleeping with, with your friends, because you can't say my boyfriend or the guy I'm dating. You don't really know what to refer to him as. Um, it's a very like unique position that I feel like is unique to this time. And maybe that's, you know, me being short-sighted, only thinking that like our generation has gone through this, but I've never seen it so expertly displayed in pop culture. Um, she ends that monologue saying, I really, really care about you and I don't want you anymore because it feels too shitty. Um, and it's, yeah, it just feeling that that moment just really broke my heart because I've been in that position where you have to end things with someone. You have to end a thing that even isn't even a thing anymore or never has been a thing. Um, so it's this weird, murky relationship waters that I thought was really well done. And um, I felt very, very represented by. <laughs> Stunned into silence. I want somebody to say something, but I don't. I've yeah. n- I have not watched like even a clip of girls. I know. Same here. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So I'll comment about it. So that's it. Yeah. Um, I feel like girls has really done a great job. And I'll totally cop to the fact that um, my view of kind of breadth of representation in this area may be limited and maybe myopic to our time too but like for my part i don't know of any show quite like girls that tries to represent as many um situations that people in our demographic in our time and place go through um so i'm not a woman so i don't i instantly identify with as much of those things but i really appreciated seeing this uh perspective like knowing that lena dunham was a director and the writer on so much of this stuff seeing that perspective put through and uh yeah i mean it's weird for i think it's weird for everybody in uh to be in a place of 
like you're saying, that kind of non-definition relationship where like everything's a little bit like, okay, how much am I flirting with you and I'm sleeping with you and like maybe we're hanging out one-on-one but we can hang a two-on-three, like that weird... Yeah, and other people are, and you're seeing other people at the same time, and they're seeing other people at the same time. Yeah. Um, Girls isn't great about, like, representing lots of races or lots of, like, economic classes, but I do think they do a great job at showing off relationships between 20-somethings, all the way from quick marriages to volatile arguments to hookups to people that you meet for a day and never see again. Um, So I think that they really love to explore all the different kinds of ways people can connect and also have sex with each other. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, in true, like, great storytelling fashion, sometimes it can feel over the top or hyperbolic, but, like, the truth comes through so strong and everything. And sometimes something that can feel over the top is something that is someone's actual experience and it's just never been put out there before. So... Yeah, um, it's cool to hear that that identifies so strongly with you, and I'm sure it does that for a, a lot of people who have been, that's been missing. Yeah, so. yeah. Brent, what about you? What is your specific piece of pop culture? Well, my, uh, the film that immediately occurred to me as soon as you raised this question is a film from 2011 called The Wise Kids. Have any of you seen The Wise Kids? I've been meaning to because of your recommendation, but I haven't made my way to it yet. Yeah, it's on my list. On my Netflix. Okay, so The Wise Kids comes from a director named Stephen Cohn. He lives in Chicago. He's made a few uh, pretty small films. Um, He tends to work on a pretty small budget, but he's done some really amazing works. He first came onto my radar last year. He had a new film uh, this past year called Henry Gamble's Birthday Party that's just about to or has just released for streaming and DVD uh, that played at the Chicago International Film Festival. And based on kind of the buzz I heard about it, um, I watched it and I watched this 2011 film the wise kids um and yeah this just immediately became one of my favorite films i don't think i've ever had such a profound experience of identifying not just with any particular character although there was one character i latched onto, but really kind of the the feel of a community that it captures uh he said in a few different interviews that in this film he wanted uh he wanted to create a portrait of a community and i think he does that effectively so the wise kids is the story of three teenagers Um, who are all part of the same Baptist youth group. Uh, And it just covers a few months as they prepare to graduate from high school and age out of that youth group. Um, The three main characters you follow, one is named Tim. He's this really gentle, sweet kid who over the course of the film is coming out to himself and to other people. Um, There's a young woman named Bree who is really bright and precocious um, and who starts um, kind of doing some exploring and investigating and starts to experience some significant doubts in her faith. And then there's this young woman named Laura um, who is really genuine and sincere, uh, but who also feels really threatened by uh, kind of the journeys that Tim and Bree are going on. And in response, she kind of latches on to this very narrow-minded, um, but still kind of wholehearted faith. So there's this is the kind of movie where not a lot happens. It kind of reminds me of almost like a Linklater film, where it just consists of a lot of really great conversations that capture a lot of the kind of the subtle nuances of the ways that people relate to each other. Um, But I don't think I've ever seen a film that has so effectively captured uh, the emotional complexity of being gay and coming out as gay among a community of people who do genuinely know and love you, uh, but who also feel conflicted about your sexuality. Um, So as Tim is coming out to people, you can tell he's kind of trying to find his footing and he doesn't really know how it works for him in terms of the fact that he is a Christian. 
Um, you can tell he's kind of trying to figure it out. And as he's coming out, the other people in the room are kind of trying to figure it out as well. And they don't really know how they should respond. They don't know if they should just rush to encourage and affirm or if they should kind of um, like listen and empathize with his own anxiety and his own confusion. So I think there's just a lot of really beautiful, honest moments there. Um, I think it also just, I mean, I think this is really one of my, one of the best graduation movies I've ever seen. Um, the, the actors who are playing these high school kids look like high schoolers. Um, they look and they sound like high schoolers. Um, and it really, you know, you can really start to see them kind of, um, puzzle through that moment of transition where they realize, oh, like I can decide, um, how I want to live my life. And I have a lot of control over the way that I want to shape my beliefs and the kind of things that I want to explore and investigate and invest myself into and this kind of stuff I want to give my attention to. And as you see them do that with each other, and as you see them kind of go in three different directions, um, it's, it's poignant and you see some of them growing apart from each other, but it's also, um, it's also really sweet because you see them growing in maturity and growing in self-confidence and self-awareness. Um, so yeah, uh, just everything about this film, I love its gentle tone. Um, you know, so when I went to the screening of Henry Gamble's birthday party, which is a very similar film, it's a lot more, um, it feels like the wise kids, somebody described it as being the wise kids turned up to 10. Um, Henry Gamble's birthday party covers just one. It's like, it's over the course of one day as a kid who's the son of a mega church pastor has a bunch of people over for a pool party for his birthday. Um, and the main character, Henry Gamble is gay. Um, and that's kind of slowly coming out over the course of the party. And there's just lots of other relationship dynamics that are in play. But when I went to a screening of that film, um, one of the comments that an audience member made, there was a Q&A afterwards with Stephen Cohn and a lot of the cast. And one of the comments that an audience member made was that um, more than almost any other director working right now, um, he, tend, he looks at this community of people, uh, in particular in this film, evangelicals, a community that almost always tends to be uh, parodied or caricatured in most um, in most film and TV, and in some cases deservedly so. But the audience member said, "You just seem to kind of take them seriously and let and um, present them as people who have complex emotional lives and complex relationships with each other." And Cohn's response was really interesting. He said, "You know, I feel like if you get if you put a hundred people in a room, no matter who they are, no matter what they all have in common, there's going to be incredible diversity within the room." Um, there's going to be people who disagree and there's going to be people who maybe disagree violently. Um, and so even if you look at a, a community of a hundred evangelical Christians, in a lot of ways, they're going to have a lot in common, but there's still going to be incredible diversity. So the way he said it was, it's not a matter of me trying to to show them as complex people or trying to show that diversity. I, I just think it's honest. Like I don't have to turn up the, the diversity there uh, because anytime you have different people interacting, obviously you're going to have conflict and you're going to have... Um, and you're going to have questions and you're going to have um, different kinds of friction. So I think he, yeah, I think he captures that well. Um, I think this movie just has a very, like I've said before, it has a very sweet, gentle tone that you don't see in a lot of um, films about sexuality. Um, in a lot of ways, this is, so this is a film that deals really specifically with questions of faith and questions of sexuality, but I think it does it better than most of the films that specifically try and be about faith or specifically try and be about sexuality. Um, this is, this has absolutely nothing in common with the kind of, um, you know, quote unquote faith and family films that Lawson mentioned, like your God's not dead or your, um, fireproof, any of those. Um, this is just, yeah, this, this film exists in an entirely different universe from those films. And I think it's one that's a lot more honest to people's experience. Uh, and it's also, I think just a lot, 
more clever than most films about sexuality and um, coming out stories. Um, it's kind of amazing that this film has found a pretty wide um, following among both people of faith and sexual minorities, just because I think a lot of them recognize that even if it's not, even if it's not the most satisfying in terms of being really cathartic or being really um, kind of vindicating, um, it is very true to experience and very true to the experience of community and relationship. So this this feels like one of those films that I am just burdened to tell people about. And for the rest <laughs> of my life, I'll be trying to convince people to watch this movie because uh, it is really stunning. Right now it is streaming on Netflix. It's also available on DVD. So I would highly recommend The Wise Kids. Yeah, I moved that to the top of my Netflix queue while you were talking about it. <laughs> I mean, I will say everybody. So obviously I like um, I will say everybody that grew up in the same environment as I have that in terms of the same kind of religious environment. Um, all of them watch it and have immediately texted me to say, oh my gosh, this character, and they'll pick it, each one, everybody will pick a different character. They'll say, this character nails me in a way that no other character on screen has. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's shocking how, how accurate so much of this is. Even down to the, there's little details like, so one of the little minor subplots is that there is a, there's like a man and his wife who are interviewing to be the new youth minister at the church and even down to like the way the youth minister dresses and he's got he's kind of scruffy and he's not very well dressed and he's just doing his best to relate to the kids you see it and you're like oh i've met that specific person at my in my youth group <laughs> so you just left and right there are tiny details in this film that are so so accurate how does this movie play with people who didn't grow up in that environment i'm curious to see just kind of because i mean i feel like I feel like it's something that we'd all get a lot out of, but I am curious how that's how that's played out elsewhere. You know, my sense is that it's been pretty well received, especially um, especially among LGBT audiences. I think it got a bigger following than maybe even Cohn expected among LGBT folks. Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars. He says that it's honest, observant, and subtle. And he has a great line in his review where he says... There are no bad people in this movie, only those who sincerely care for and about each other and come to accept that no matter what you think about it, some people are gay and have always been gay, and that's the way they are, and you can still love them. I think people really appreciate, even if they may kind of intensely disagree with things that the characters on screen are saying, uh, Cone does such a good job of making of selling them as people who are genuine and sincere and who are trying their hardest that I think it's hard to, um, to feel too opposed to them or... Um, to, to, to disbelieve them. The only other thing I'll say about this movie is it does also include my absolute favorite coming out scene that I've ever seen in any film. Uh, not, uh, not with Tim, the character that I described before, who's kind of one of the main protagonists, but there are a few other queer characters in the film, and there's one in particular who comes out near the end. And it's just somebody who is in a very different stage of life than Tim. You know, you've got Tim, this high schooler who's growing up, in the late 2000s and so in a lot of ways he's set up really well to grow and flourish and be healthy um but some of the other characters in this film are folks who have been part of this system for a lot longer than he has so yeah there's a moment um near the end where another character comes out um and watching that person wrestle with the words and you and wrestle with kind of articulating this reality for the very first time and seeing how it's simultaneously so cathartic but also kind of horrifying for them um, the scene is just incredibly well acted. It's kind of unbearable to watch, um, but it is um, just intensely powerful. Like I said, it's my favorite portrayal of coming out that I've ever seen on screen. Yeah, Brent, like I've had this film on my radar because of you and because you've recommended it before and I really trust your recommendations. 
And yeah, listening to you talk about it now, it's, I'm surprised that I haven't thinking like, why haven't I seen this before? Like, obviously you've already recommended it to me, but um, I'm definitely putting a much higher priority on it than I had in the past. Nice. All right, Lucas, what about you? I am super curious to hear your answer to this question. Uh, Barack Obama, probably. I don't know. No. <laughs> He's not a movie. He's, He's gonna about be to be in now. a first date movie. Yeah. What? Oh yeah. There's this. There's a new movie coming out called Southside with You, and it's a very Linklater-esque movie of just about the first date of Barack and Michelle as they just like walk through Chicago and talk together. Oh wow! Yeah. I have not heard of this at all. I'm really looking forward to it. That sounds that... like such a thin premise, but all the reviews have been incredible. It's called Southside with you. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's not play. Okay, this is. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I am super shocked by this. It's like an actual movie and not like a documentary type no, thing. No, no. I thought it was yeah, like, like a, a conversation about their first. No, date like or a legit like that, fictional depiction. A, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay, but Lucas, for real though, what is <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what? Not what's your Halloween costume been for the past eight years? What have you? Yes. Been? <laughs> or what movies are you unaware of? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So my, I, I, I feel like uh, I'm in an interesting place in in pop culture because I feel like for the most part, um, people feel like they're representing black people, um, more and more, which is which is true, um, but. For me, as someone who doesn't really, it's who is half black and doesn't really identify with black culture at all. Um, I I don't feel like I'm super well represented um, in pop culture right now, and I th- I think well, especially like growing up, the the thing I felt most represented by wasn't you know a piece of media or anything like that. Um, it was an actor. It was it was Will Smith, um, and I feel like m- more so because most of the movies that he's in have nothing to do with race and aren't um, and aren't tied to, you know, him as a black character and his place in the world. It's just a movie that you could swap in any anybody from any race and still have that 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 film or TV show um, kind of premise. A lot of his earlier work, obviously, Fresh Prince um, is a lot more racially um you know, cognizant, but um, especially as he got older, I feel like a lot of a lot of his movies kind of shy away from that. He's definitely, I think, the only black guy to ever be a lead in a romantic comedy. Um, and his, I think his movie came out last year. Focus um, is a like a heist film. Yeah, yeah, he, heist film where where he's leading that. He's just he's just very diverse in his movie choices um, as well as in. Um, as well as in his romantic relationships in those movies. There's a lot. Um, he's, he's one of the, f- the few people that I've seen um, in an interracial relationship on film. And I feel like as, as someone who, who grew up with a black dad and a white mom um, and who's married to, to a white woman, I feel like it's very, that, that kind of area of my life is something that's not really um, discussed much or, or represented in, in any way, shape, or form. I feel like recently... Watching, um, watching Key and Peele, they both they both grew up in a in interracial homes. I feel like that, that their their comedy is something that I feel like is is more in in line with something that that I identify with. And I haven't seen their new movie Keanu that that that's just coming out. Looks but so funny. Um, I'll, I, it's it's hilarious, and I feel like a lot of it you like you you don't see you don't, you you never see anybody portray black people who are uncomfortable with black 
with I guess you know black maybe ghetto culture would be the the, the term, but like that that's something that I've I've never seen before, and I'm I'm super excited to see it. I definitely think that'll that's something that will I'll probably also identify with based on the trailer. That's uh, that looks like something that uh that is super interesting to me. Um, have you guys seen the movie Dear White People? Oh, I love that movie. Yes. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Um, I, I watched it on an iPad in an airport, which is obviously the ideal way to consume media. <laughs> but um, I can recommend it's... on an iPhone in a bathroom <laughs> stall for your next film. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that, that, that movie is definitely something that I feel like brought up a lot of, not necessarily issues, but, to- but topics, I think, to, for, at least for me to discuss, um, just about how being black isn't, that's that's not the end of it. It's not just being black. Um, it's being black around white people and being black around black people. And how um, I think I think there's there's a there's a line in in, in that film where where um, a character gets is a character mentions, oh, you're you're only technically black. And like that's I feel like that's that's something that I that I've heard a lot <laughs> is is that you know you're you know you're you look black, but you're or you're the whitest black guy I know kind of a thing. Um, and I feel like that's something that is never really portrayed as someone who who identifies with you know identifies more with white culture um but is black and kind of how that how that's portrayed lucas have you seen any of the carmichael show it's a new sitcom um, i believe on nbc that's the irish no it's not it's um headed by gerard carmichael he's a like a young 20-something stand-up comedian no i haven't yeah i haven't seen it. okay um so not all of the themes that are on that show like reminded me of this but just there's one biracial character on that show that i'd really be interested in hearing your opinion of um but it's a it's a fun sitcom that kind of like harkens back to like old sitcom style of just like a family Mm -hmm. having discussions about different topics and so they're constantly bringing up like very relevant topics like gun control black lives matter gentrification um marriage all these things that are like very much in the forefront of like media conversation and they're having a conversation about them on a sitcom um in a very like debate style way um yeah but anyway they it's a very interesting dynamic on that show because it's a primarily black family um and the main character he's dating a biracial girl and they live in kind of like a fancy apartment and they visit their parents in like a different neighborhood and it's the conversations that like erupt from that dynamic and um, I'm having a lot of fun with it and your conversation just kind of reminded me of it. Yeah, that's definitely something I'll have to check out. Lucas, when you think about young Lucas Wright and him watching Will Smith, is he are, is he watching uh, Fresh Prince or is he watching uh, Will Smith's films or kind of taking all of it in? I'm kind of, kind of taking it all of it in because I, I mean, he like Fresh Prince is a very black show and it and that I like it. It, it race comes up a lot on that. As I grew up, I saw him in the, you know things like Men in Black, um, and Wild Wild West, and things where 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 that you know could just just kind of like f- funny movies that you know did bring it bring up his race a little bit, and you know is a his performance in a in in Bad Boys. Um, but then then you have like things like Hitch and I Am Legend and Hancock, kind of in the in the late two thousands, um, and think things that like you know. Actually, like I think, I am Legend. The in in the in the book, he is a it's it's a white character that they were that they swapped for um, for Will Smith. And you know, Hitch, he's a like like I said before. I mean, there's you, you don't 
get a lot of romantic comedies with a with, with a black lead, and especially when the the female isn't black either, um, or is she in Hitch? No, she's I not. Hitch in a long time. Was, who's who's in who's in Hitch? Eva Longoria. Eva Mendes. Eva Longoria. Yeah. Eva Mendes. Cool. Different. Different yes. Eva. <laughs> Different Eva. Um, but yeah, I mean, in a movie with 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 Kevin James, and you know that is just something that like I I hadn't really seen before. Um, is is I mean, growing up, I wasn't a huge fan of romantic comedies, um, but knowing knowing that Will Smith was in one definitely made me want to watch it. Um, and his portrayal in uh, like I, I mean, I talked I talked about Focus earlier, um, where he's not. I mean, it's a it's a con artist movie. He's in a relationship with a, a younger white female, and I I think in reality that would that would come up a lot more in <laughs> in a real life conversation. Um, but having it not not mentioned and not um, not be an issue um, and not be kind of a plot point in the movie, I think is, a, is is really refreshing. Lucas, this really reminds me of what I hear you saying. If and tell me if this is uh, kind of in the right same ballpark. Is I remember distinctly the first time I ever saw Saturday Night Live uh, in a sketch where there were two of the actors that were playing a gay couple in a dinner party scene, and they were just there were like four couples there and one of them was a gay couple. There was not a joke about them being a gay couple. There was not, uh, no one brought up the fact that like, oh, you're here. Like nothing about the scene had to do with that. There was a great joke and a great bit that went on and they were just one of the couples in that scene. And I feel like there, you know, are obviously really important conversations to have about heterosexism and about sexual minorities and all these different things. And you can have funny sketches that are satirical or whatever angle you want to take. But um, having a scene like that uh, is is just so refreshing. And to me, that's a lot of what I see in like uh, Will Smith uh, roles that he takes on and stuff like that is like the couple in the scene that the the story is about the scene. It's not about um, that particular couple. Does that am Absolutely. I hearing that right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Def- definitely. And I, f- I, I feel like I, I really enjoy movies that do talk about race and want to focus on that. But I feel like what I end up seeing is every movie that features someone of a different race has to be part of, you know, part of the plot has to be about that race where if race doesn't come up, let's just cast everybody as a white guy. Um, and so I know, yeah. And so I feel like Will Smith is one of the few people who have kind of broken through that and can, you know, lead a lead a movie based on his acting ability and based on the character that he wants to play um, and that has nothing to do with race. Well, that's about all we have for today. That concludes our first episode. Let's go ahead and tell everybody where they can find us on the internet. Hey, so yeah, uh, if you want to reach out and say hey to me, Lawson Soward, I'm on Twitter at Lawson West. If you want to find me on any other social platforms, I'm using the same handle. You can find me at Sandra Amstutz on all social platforms. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z, but especially go follow me on Snapchat because I'm having a lot of fun over there. My name is Brent Bailey. If you want to find me anywhere online, you can search for B-R-P-A-B-A, the first two letters of Brent Parker Bailey. Uh, or if you want to find me on Tomo, I am B-B and I still have like only four friends, so please add me there. And my name is Lucas Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at Lucas and Stuff. You can also follow us on Twitter at Feeling It Pod. Um, we'll be retweeting some links to some stuff that we've been talking about on the episode, um, as well as you can find our SoundCloud and everything there as well. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 This was great. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll 
see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.